All right, before we uh, get into, into the message today, I just want to take advantage of the one we just got, which was an incredible song. Uh, I want to make this clear for everybody. Uh, regardless of where you are, if you, if you are way on this extreme today and you think, uh, man, I, I, don't, I, I feel like God's not even accepting me, he doesn't love me, he doesn't care for me, uh, I've just been bad, I don't even know what I'm doing at church today. But um, and, and you feel like you're way, way out of reach of God, like God's never going to have anything to do with you. And so maybe you're here today and you came, you're in this condition, you came today because you feel like uh, this will do something to help you, it, to gain favor with God. In other words, to gain God's approval on you. So I want to tell you the truth about it, okay? You walking in the door today and coming to church on a Sunday does, will not accomplish that. Everybody hear me? Okay, you being here today and making, making time out of your busy schedule, losing some sleep, getting up early and coming to church and, and, and sitting in that pew or that, that chair this is not going to do anything to get you a better relationship with God. It's, there is, there's nothing here for you if that's what you're looking for. But good news. All right, if you're here, if you're here, and you, and you realize your condition in the way that I just described it, that you are, man, you are so far away from God that God doesn't have anything to do with you. And when I just said that, that, that you being here does nothing to help you, you went, I knew it. I knew that was true. I knew that I can't do anything. Uh, let me give you the good news. The good news is this. Right over here, waiting for you is the grace of God that we just just sang about. That God says, uh, it doesn't matter where you are, how bad you are. Here's what Jesus did for you. I hear it clearly, okay? Here's what Jesus did just for you. There are two, two problems with you. Number one, the problem is that you, uh, that your sins past up to today, all of your sins have to be removed in order for you to have a relationship with God. They have to be removed. You can't, you can't come to God with sin, with a, a spirit that's, that's living in sin. It, it's a dead spirit. You, you can't be, have a relationship with God and have that. So your past sins have to be taken care of. So here's what Jesus did. We sang about it. His blood was shed on the cross as a sacrifice for your sins. It's nothing you did. Okay, so you can't, being here is not going to earn you anything with, with God. But you need to know that God is doing something to bring you into his family. It has nothing to do with you. It's not your goodness. It is simply the blood of Christ has washed away, what can wash away all of your sins. It, that is available for you today. So if you're a sinner, you're horrible, you know that you are, you're way away from God, you feel like God doesn't love you, wrong answer. God does love you, and he's, reached, he's coming to get you where you are. You don't have to try to get to him. He's coming from, from, from perfection and saying, Look, I've already taken care of your sin. All you need to do is receive my son. Just receive the forgiveness of sin. It's a free gift of God. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That is separation from God. But the free, everybody say free. Free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus removes our sins. The Bible says that God made Jesus to become sin for us. 
so that we could be made the righteousness of God, perfection in him. Man, that's, that is good news, right? That is not something you do. Your past sins have been washed away if you put your faith in Christ. If you're willing to receive just the free gift of Jesus to take away your sins. All right? That's good news. Some of you are over here on this side. And you're very religious, and this is just, I mean, this is just another church for you. You're doing your religious thing, but you've been doing it all your life. You're really good at it. Um, you know, you, you went to church growing up. You, you, you've been in, in all the different organizations in the church. Maybe, you, maybe you're, uh, you're here. Uh, this is one of the many churches you're going to visit as you try to discover which church you can best be uh, yourself in. Uh, and, and you, and you, but you may be over here and be very religious like I was. I was in everything at church. I went all the time. I never missed anything at church. And I, I, I found myself in this condition. Even though I was religious, I didn't have a relationship with Christ. Don't, I mean, don't you know that that's what the, the, the gospel is about? That Jesus was reaching to people that never, that never came to him because they were, they were religious. And their religion was dead. It was just activity for activity's sake. They were doing the same thing that I was talking about over there. They were trying to earn their way to God by being better than everybody else and looking down on the people, well, looking down on those people, see how much better I am than you, and looking down on people who are in the, stuck in the religious activity and looking down at them and saying, I'm better than you, and so I'm making my way. See how good I'm doing? Some of you are stuck there, and you don't even have a relationship with Christ. i got good news for you. Jesus came to save you as well. He came to save those who are stuck in dead religion, to, to call you out of that into a relationship where all you need is Christ. And you don't have to ever worry about earning any favor with God anymore. Because Jesus is your righteousness. Listen, y'all still with me? This is more of us than, than this is. But Jesus became your righteousness for you. He, you get the imputed, it's called. The, you get Jesus' righteousness given to you. As a free gift. Right? The wages of sin is death. And, and sin can be self-righteousness. It's self-effort. That's all sin too. Just like the sins over here of, of paganism and fleshly sins. And things that we do to satisfy ourselves. And rejection of, of, of God. More of us have probably been stuck over here. But again, man, what good news. That Here's what God said. God made him to become sin for us. So that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Not in our own doing, in our own goodness, in our own efforts, but we can become the righteousness of God, which is what God demands for us to have a relationship with him, is our past sins have to be taken away and our future sins have to be covered. We have to be righteous. And so God gives us the righteousness of Christ. So wherever you are today, I just want to, I want to, Hit that message again because um, we all need to understand that, that, that it's, this is the sim- simplest form of the gospel. Jesus died to do something for us we couldn't do for ourselves. God gave us Jesus to bring us to a right relationship with God. Now, what happens after that is what we've been talking about in First, in, in, uh, first Timothy. What happens after that is... God puts his Holy Spirit inside of us, and now we have begun to 
to desire different things. Our heart's desire now is to, is to live for God, to be his children, to do things that he wants us to do. We don't do it well, <laughs> most of us. Uh, well, none of us really do it well. Uh, but, but we're making our effort to, to do what our heart's desire is. Our, our changed heart is to live for God. And it's to reach for that with all of our mights. It's to stretch with our, as, as Paul talks about in, in 1 Timothy, it's, we are uh, aspiring to be men and women of God. Not because we have to to earn something anymore, but because we've been given a new life. And that changes the reason why we, why we live our lives. When you don't have to work for it, when you have to work for it, you feel like, oh, I'm having to earn this. I deserve it. When you realize it's a gift of God, you don't deserve it. And that even the best of your righteousness apart from Christ is as filthy rags to, to God, does nothing for you. Then you realize, man, I want to live for God. The best question I've ever had to answer, and I'm continuing to answer every day, is if I don't have to do anything, then what am I going to do? If I don't have to do anything to get my way here from a religious standpoint or from a a paganistic standpoint, if I don't have to do anything to get here with Jesus, then what am I going to do? And I can answer that question loud and clear. (laughs) I'm going to do my very best to live out what's in my heart, and that is I want to please, I want to be perfect. I want to, I'm not going to, but that's what I'm going to do my best. I'm stretching toward that. So Paul's telling Timothy, man, the church at Ephesus, you got people on both sides. You got pagans, you got religious people who are taking the the simplicity of the gospel and they're turning it into all this extra stuff you got to do. You got to follow the rules. You got a list of do's and don'ts you got to do in order to be right with God. Yeah, it's okay with that Jesus thing, but don't take that too far. Make sure you work. And as all this is going on in Ephesus at this church, and so Paul's telling Timothy, I need you to stand up and I need you to say some things very clearly. Number one, I need you to say, to tell those teachers to quit teaching that. You need to rebuke those. And number two, you need to tell the people to quit listening to that. That's garbage. Quit listening to it. Last week, I hope I made that clear. I said it a number of times. Church, quit listening to it. Don't be drawn back into that. There's no life there. All right? Stay here. Just keeping our eyes on Jesus, keeping him the focus of our lives. And so Paul's telling Timothy that, and he says, and this is, what it's, what, what, this is the way that you're going to accomplish that this is how you're going to stay focused right here is first of all i want you to select uh, I, want, I want you to consider the fact some of you men consider consider whether you aspire to be an example of that in the church an example of a person who's going after god and whose life is simply the fruit of abiding in christ keeping my eyes focused on him, living out my passion, struggling with my sins, but, but with every effort to remove those out of my life with the power of the Holy Spirit, working with God to, to, to accomplish my heart's desire, increasing the joy in my life through my obedience and becoming a different person, and people notice it, they see it, and they recognize that you have something, and it's something that they want, the contentment that's in your life, the joy that's in your life. Paul said, if any of you aspire, you want to stretch with all your might towards that, consider, yourself, consider the possibility of being an elder. And we listed all these characteristics because an elder must be all these things. See, an elder is one that aspires to these characteristics that are listed in chapter 3. So we looked at that. Uh, we took a good long look at that, right? But then Paul comes, and Paul also says, and says, and deacons, by the way, same characteristics, 
but different calling and a different kind of personality maybe that God's given them, but definitely a different calling. God's calling some of you who are stretching toward that, uh, some of you men in the church here who are stretching towards that, this thing right here, Jesus, watching him, keeping our eyes on him, letting our lives be transformed by him. He's calling some of you to be elders, and he's calling some of you to be servants, deacons and deaconesses who would go after uh, service for God by serving his church, by taking care of the needs of the people in the body. Uh, the deacons are not elders. They are not in authority over anybody. Deacons are people who are serving the body. They're the best at serving. And the reason why Paul says this ultimately is he says, because if I don't get to come back to you, I want you to know how you ought to behave in the, in the household of God. So if you have these elders who are leading the church who are walking in this, that's going to help you learn how to behave in the household of God. Uh, if you have these deacons who are serving the body but who exemplify this, then you're going to have somebody standing in front of you who are great examples of what it looks like to aspire to be a person after God. That's what we need in this church. We need men of God and women of God in service and in leadership who are, who are working to, with all their might just to know God, to love God, and to make God what they're all about, Jesus and the gospel, just walking out what God's put in their heart, training their flesh to do what their heart already desires to do. So Paul gives us that. It's a beautiful picture. He gives us another warning in chapter 4, and that's where we went last week. And we covered a whole chapter, so I can talk about it today again because I did a chapter in a day. That's pretty good. I'm not trying to cover all chapter 5 today, so y'all can just relax. But in chapter 4, we went to chapter 4, man, he talks about, he says, now, listen, there are going to be people over here, they're going to have a hard time with the fact that you guys are focusing on this and this alone. Now, these people aren't going to have a hard time, but these people are. The folks that are, that are the religious leaders who, are, who, gain, who have gained power and prestige and position and favor with, uh, with the, the people in the culture because they stand for the old law. They stand for dead religion, they just, but, but they're good at it. They, they're really standing uh, way over here, man. They got it, or way over there. They got it, and they're good at it, and they're going to try to draw you back in. And Paul spends all of chapter 4 to tell us, don't do it. Stay, don't listen to them. And Timothy, you tell them not to listen. So then how uh, Paul continues to go on, and in chapter 5, he begins to give us uh, uh, 5 and 6, which we only have these two chapters left. We'll probably spend two weeks in both, maybe three in chapter 6. But in chapter 5, Paul comes back and he starts addressing some of the particulars. He says, now I'm going to give you some more instruction for how uh, this is going to look when you live it out. All right, we've been talking mostly about principles and expectations in regard to conduct, in regard to uh, heart things that, that are going on. But now we're going to really start talking about how you relate to one another and how you relate, relate particularly to people within the household of God. All right? So let's pick up in chapter 5, and we'll cover the, uh, this section on, um, uh, well, just the first few, uh, few uh, first half probably of chapter 5. All right, y'all still with me? Say, oh, yeah. All right, uh, I'm going to ask you to just really work with me because I know, uh, man, Satan wants us to go to sleep. He wants to put our minds to sleep. We've all had a rough, a long week. Uh, many of us spending lots and lots of hours 
um, cleaning up and working. So I know it's going to be hard physically for you to stay alert. So God will help you, but also join God and do your best to stay connected. So if you need to take notes or write some things down or whatever you need to do to stay awake, stand in the back. I encourage you to do that. All right, here we go. First Timothy chapter 5. Uh, let's, let's read verses 1 and 2 and make a few points out of it. Timothy says, uh, or Paul says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women, uh, younger women as sisters in all purity. All right, now Paul had just said to Timothy um, that not to let anybody despise his youth. And we made the point last week that typically what happens for your generation, uh, since most of us are millennials, most of you are millennials here, Although I did check with Wes today, and I am wearing the proper millennial attire. Wes and uh, Jeffrey, we all coordinated today. Um, but that you guys are young, and a lot of times people will look down on you because you're young. But I, I want to encourage you, and I did last week, that, that you guys have something that a lot of people who are stuck over here never had and maybe never will have because they're 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 they have no openness to God moving and working in their lives. They're just used to running through the motions. And so don't let them look down on you and say what you have is not right. Or don't, don't feel intimidated by them and begin to move back into that. Okay, Paul's given us a clear message about that. So here's what he's not saying. He's not saying uh, get an attitude in regard to older people in the church. He's basically saying, watch your attitude, Timothy, because you are a leader. You're a, you're a young leader, and you're going to be leading people, and, and these young people in your, in your uh, church are also going to be watching you to see how you react and how you act in regard to other people. So he gives them some help. The first thing he says, I think on purpose in reference to not letting anybody despise you because you're young, he says, don't rebuke an older man. Uh, here's a way to stop older people from looking down on you because you're young. Keep a good attitude. Keep a, a, a selfless attitude. Keep a, a giving attitude. Keep a respectful attitude. Paul says don't rebuke an older man. That's not the way to go to an older man. I have some, uh, we have some people that have come out of our church uh, uh, and I understand this. They, they come out. They come out of uh, Louisiana College. They've been in our church. They understand the freedom of having Christ. They go and they they get they go to seminary and they get their master's degree and it makes them somebody. And then they go into I say that because it made me somebody. And then they go into a church and it's a church full of uh, senior adults and they tell the senior adults that what they believe is wrong. And they're out of there in about three months. And nobody's changed. And nobody appreciates them for what they did. It's because they have this attitude. They're rebuking older men who have been in that church for all their life. They've been, they may have been pursuing God this way, but you don't come to people over here and say, what y'all are doing is wrong. Let me, young punk, tell y'all what it's all about. Right? Because I can tell you how they're going to handle that. I'll show you, young punk. Remember that paycheck you were getting? That's staying in the bank. Go find you another job. No, it just doesn't get. I mean, and that's a good. I mean, that's that's an expected response. It's not a good response, but it's an expected response. So Paul says, instead, instead of rebuking them, he says, encourage them 
as you would a father. I'll tell you, one of the hardest things for me personally is when I found freedom in Christ and I realized that I had the imputed righteousness of God that I was just talking about. When I came from here to here, I was already saved, but wherever I was in the middle, but I was way over on this side. When I found out that I had freedom in Christ and that Jesus had my, my, uh, my righteousness taken care of for the future, I wanted my dad to know that. And my dad was on the other side of that stand over there. And some of you have that in your families. Some of you definitely have that in people that you're connected to or very close to. Paul says this is what you need to do, encourage them. You know how we encouraged our families? First of all, we did, we did a lot of crazy things. The life and I followed God everywhere he told us to go. And God called us to do some crazy things, and he still is. My, my mom and dad now understand it, and they are over here with us. They see that, but it, it took years for us just loving them and sharing with them what God was doing in our lives and the excitement they saw in our hearts and the, you know, the joy that they saw in us that was legitimate. It wasn't based on our goodness. And they would talk about all the things they were doing for God, and we would just talk about how good God was. And before long, they realized something's different here. Okay, you, you don't have to rebuke an older person, an older man, in order to get a response out of him. But instead, Paul says, encourage him as you would a father. He says, encourage younger men as you would brothers. Uh, now, in my house, that means hit them, in the, hit them fight, wrestle. No, no. I think what he's saying here is encourage them as brothers, as equals. Not as you being above them or them being above you, but treat everyone as equals. And you are. We're all dealing with sin. Um, I forget who it was. Somebody in the congregation recently uh, was, was sharing with, with us how they, it, it blows their minds that they feel like we're the, you know, not the same age, but we're on the same level. That's a great compliment to me. Uh, and and I, you know, I hope you feel that from me. I'm not above any of you, and I don't feel like I'm above any of you. So if, I'm, if you feel that communi- being communicated, it's not coming from my heart, hopefully not coming from my actions. It may be your perception. But I think we all need, as, as elders particularly, but all of us need to treat younger men, in other words, not move down from the elders or from the older people in the church and move into the congregation, people that are your age and around your age, to treat them with respect and to treat them as equals. And then he says also older women as mothers, which again causes you to not disrespect who they are and what their history is and what's what's behind where they are similar to what we talked about with the older men and then younger women as sisters and he says in all purity there uh, i think he knows because the temptations of young men regarding young women is that we we want to uh, have authority or we we might look on them as a potential partner or be too flirtatious if we're already married there's a lot of things that come there but to treat women young women People of our age that we're connected to with respect and without, without uh, and not in a way that gets attention for ourselves or draws in any kind of uh, thoughts about a relationship, right? But just loving them as sisters. So Paul makes it clear. He gives us a great, uh, great word there. I think a good passage in First Peter chapter 5 uh, summarizes this when Paul's talking to elders. This is what he says. Paul says in verses 1 through 3, 1 Peter 5, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, 
not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That's a great way to summarize what he's saying here in verses 1 and 2. He's saying, here's what I want you to do as leaders. So elders, this is the example you need to be to the body so that the body can look at the elders and deacons and say, that's what it looks like. They should be looking at us and saying, okay, they're serving people. They're on the same level as other people. They're not domineering. They're careful to speak to us in ways that don't offend us. They're, they're, they're becoming all things to all people. You know, they're really reaching out to love people, and they have joy and contentment. And so that, that, that shows up in relationships. You see all these characteristics that Paul's been talking about. They begin to show up in relationships. And so Paul says that to elders, and Peter says it to elders because he expects that the congregation is going to be looking at the elders as an example. Paul makes that clear here. Live as examples. Just live your life. You stay focused on Christ, and and it should result in you having a proper attitude regarding older men, younger men, younger women. Okay? Simple enough. Verse 3, 1 Timothy 5. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, uh, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers all uh, night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, uh, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she's brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage your household. Give the advers- and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. All right, now, I just want to read again the start and ending of this big section on widows. All right, and we're going to be done after widows today. But I want us to really understand what he's saying here. It's going to free some of you up, and it's also going to challenge some of you, depending on where you are. First of all, he says, honor widows who are truly widows. And then he ends this section about widows by saying, uh, let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. All right, so... And you know, what Paul is saying, first of all, is that the church should not be burdened because there are widows to take care of, be taken care of. And so we're honoring those who are truly widows. So that leads us to ask what question? 
who are truly widows. And Paul's answering that clearly in this passage. He says this. He says, they're not those who have descendants who can take care of them. True widows are not those who have descendants who can take care of them. Look at verse 4. If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness in their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So, first of all, widows who still have family members who are alive and uh, should be taking care of their own children. This should not be the burden of the church. You don't know how, to take, how, how the, taking care of widows is not a burden? It's when you as family members take care of your own parents or take care of your own family, your aunts, your uncles. Um, is that tough? Yes. It's really tough whenever your measurement of, of, how, of what life's supposed to be like is the American dream. And in our culture, we've really gotten to the place where we don't, we don't even make a plan, many of us, anymore to take care of our parents when they're old. We're so ready to get our kids out of the house so we can be free. And by the way, that's a beautiful thing. I'm in the middle of that right now. My kids are out of the house and, I, and my parents are, are healthy. So it's a beautiful thing when that happens. But I need to have a plan on how or we do as, as children, how we're going to take care of mom and dad. And grandma, if grandma was still alive, and grandpa, if they're still alive. Other cultures do a better job of this. Some cultures in the United States do a better job than most of us do, where they actually take their family members in, and they expand their houses, or they build a mother-in-law cabin in the back, because you don't, it, mother-in-laws are not considered family. No, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Um, yeah, no, they are. And so we take care of them, right? We've got a, we've got a, a, a command from God. This, these, are, these are widows that should be taken care of. And the church should not have the burden of doing that. Your, your grandparents should not be, our parents or grandparents should not be coming to the church and saying we have no way to take care of our needs. Because you should be taking care of your parents and grandparents. So that takes the burden off the church. All right, so that's number one. Number two, who are, who are widows? Uh, they are those who are left alone and are trusting God to provide. Look at verse 5. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayer all night. But she, is, uh, but she who is self-indulgent is dead while, even while she lives. So here's what he says. Uh, a widow who is truly a widow, here's number one. Uh, a, widow, a true widow that the church should take care of is one who is, is depending on God. It's a godly woman who's depending on him, walking in life and depending on him. I think about the widow who gave her last mite and how Jesus applauded and, and held her up as an example to the church. This is what it's like to trust God. This, you all have given a lot out of your wealth, and out, you've given small portions of your wealth. This woman has given everything that she has. That was a widow he was talking about. And so... A widow is those who are left alone. She has no family. She's left alone. And no relatives to take care of her as she she ought. And she's putting her trust in God. All right, third. Who is a widow? Not one who is self-indulgent. Living in the flesh and dead spiritually. Expecting a handout. Uh, And we're going to see more in this passage. That God does not put on the church. His church. The responsibility of taking care of, of widows in the community that are not connected to the body. Now, is that wrong? Absolutely not. God gives us some other commands 
in Scripture that talk about blessing those who curse us even, right? So we need to do those things as God leads us to do it, but they're not going to be on the list of widows that we take care of. These widows that he's talking about in this passage are on a list, a formal list. They make a list of widows that, that the church provides for. And these widows that are outside the church are not on that list. And so, again, lightening the burden of the church. I mean, we hear all the time, uh, you know, I have all my life heard that we're supposed to take care of, of every widow in the community. Well, it's not necessarily true. Do they have family who are taking care of them? Do they have, um, are they in the body? Because we, de- we have to take care of those that are in the body. Now, God may lead us to, to bless every widow in this town. He may lead us to do that. But they're not on the list. And this passage is not giving us responsibility for that. Everybody get that? All right. So in verse 7, he says, Command these things well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he has denied his faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We need, we need to talk. Well, I guess we've talked enough about that. Again, we talked about the cultural norm. He's just reinforcing that, that family members should take care of their, their own widows within their family. So let's go to verse 9. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she's, been brought, if she's brought up children, has shown hospitality, washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. All right, so first of all, here's the list. He says, let her be enrolled. Literally, let her be enrolled means that she's going to be put on a list of those to be provided for by the church. There's an official list of widows uh, to be cared for who were, uh, who were not just random widows. They were very specific widows. Look at what he says. These, these widows were, uh, that he lists here, were of an exceptional character. Uh, they helped the body of Christ. And so the church, uh, which is, is an authentic manifestation of God to the widow, right? We're authentic manifestations. It's coming from our heart. We have this desire, and most of us do. We desire to take care of, of widows within the body. Uh, so the church, uh, who are authentic manifestations of the, of the person of God, need to represent God well by caring for those who serve the church faithfully. So he says that, first of all, they should be less than, uh, less than 60 years of age. It's very similar to our retirement age, right? thought that's pretty interesting. But they don't need to be young. They need to be older. And 60, I imagine, in their day was very old, right? And so, but they, I think it represents, the age represents their ability to earn for themselves or not earn for themselves anymore, probably... Uh, not in good health, and need people to help take care of them. And so they need to be at least 60, 60 uh, less than 60 years of age, not less than 60 years of age. He says they need to be married only once. Uh, and every, every commentary I, I looked at regarding this, it was not the same as, as a husband of one wife was when we talked about uh, the, you know, what a, what a divorced, it was, is that a divorced man? That what he's saying here is she should not have multiple husbands. And again, it's going to come back to an attitude about life. If she's serving the church and she's committed to that, that when that she's only a husband of one, of, uh, wife of one husband. Uh, if he dies, that's, that's an exception. But she's not going to different people. 
uh, and, and has multiple husbands who can provide for her is really the case that he's talking about here. Multiple husbands taking care of her needs, should be taking care of her needs. Um, so she's married only once. Having a reputation for good works. If she's brought up children, has shown hospitality, washed the feet of the saints, care for the afflicted. She has a reputation for good works. Um, you know, our, we should look among our church, and if there's a, a widow who needs to be cared for, she should have a reputation of good works. Now, what does that do? I think it encourages young women in the church of their day to, to serve, to serve the body well, right? Because one day they're going to be serving me, taking care of me. You know, I've always heard in regard to, my, to grandparents, spend your inheritance. You know, grandparents should spend their inheritance. But, you know, our, our parents, my parents took care of me for 18 years of my life and many times after that uh, stood in a gap for me and provided for me. And so in the same way in the church, when you have a, uh, an elderly woman who is, or an elderly man who has served the church and served the church well and has, has done good works, how hard is it for us to bless those people and to take care of them? So Paul says that's another requirement. You know, again, though we might decide as a congregation to care for widows in the community at large, uh, this passage is not speaking of that. We must take care of our own widows who have faithfully served, and, and, uh, and we are no better uh, than, them, than those people out in the community, but we need to be provi- providing for our own people. So what kind of widows then are not put on the list? He covers that in verse 11, beginning with verse 11. Younger widows, uh, because they can they can work, they can get a job, uh, they can they can provide for themselves, they can remarry, um, uh, and and the problem is that that some of them are in such bad shape uh, that they were willing to to do whatever and marry multiple guys just to be able to get their needs taken care of, and so he says, young, but they're also able to work, still old enough to work, and so he says, younger widows. And, and because they have typical problems, like pa- their passions draw them away from Christ. They move away from the, the uh, responsibility to stay faithful to one man, uh, to their husband who's died, for instance. And it draws them away from Christ. They incur, con- uh, through that, incur condemnation, he says, for abandoning their former faith. So these widows who are young, if they're not continuing to serve the church and take care of the church, um, are not to be provided for or put on the list. Also, he says that, that younger women uh, tend to be gossips and idlers. They go from house to house. I think he probably has some specific widows in mind, wouldn't you think? Uh, probably some husbands that have been killed in battle or whatever. They're busybodies saying things that they should not. Um, so who cares for those widows then? Who's going to care for the younger widows? Verse 14, he says, I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. So the solution for the younger widows is to remarry, have children who will take care of them in their old age, uh, manage their own households, and continue to serve as the older elders did. So what does that mean for us? I think, first of all, uh, well, you know, we're we're at a place where we're a young congregation. We may or may not have widows living in the congregation or part of this congregation. 
But when we do, we know how to take care of them, right? But specifically today for us, I want to make sure we understand the, the bigger message of what he's saying here. The big message he's saying is that whenever we are going after God, and we're recognizing that Christ has saved us, that we earn nothing from him, and we are pursuing Christ, the ultimate result is going to be that we care for people in the church. We love people in the church. We are serving people in the church. We're not going to let one of our own be out there in the community trying to make ends meet. The church needs to rise up and be that for, uh, for people. We need to take our own resources, and God will provide those resources because they're all, they're all his. But God will provide resources for us to take care of people. I thought it was interesting this last week that uh, it, with all the flooding, for instance, that went on down south, and I think it's a good illustration to, to, again, to take this and put it in a generic sense since we're not really dealing with a lot of widows who need care here. But we had a lot of families, family members of our family members who were lost their homes. They lost everything. They needed to get stuff out of their house, and their neighbors were in as bad a shape as they were. Who's going to do it? Everybody's taking care of their own place. And so teams of people uh, on Monday or Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday have gone out to different places in South Louisiana to help family members get junk out of their house. It's what family members do for one another, right? It costs us money. The church has also given significant gifts to those families that we helped, financial gifts. And isn't it interesting that at the time that we needed to give those gifts, we had one of the largest offerings last week that we've had in months. God knew ahead of time. I think he gave it to us last week so that we could know that he knows what's coming, right? There's always enough resources. The point is, there's always enough money. There's always enough time. There's always enough uh, energy. Whatever it is that you think you don't have enough of to serve God, there's always enough. God provides it, and we are just stewards of what he gives us. So let's be good stewards in regard to our family here, taking care of one another, being faithful to be together, to serve in the body. You know, just, and we'll talk more about that as we go through the rest of these chapters, uh, our verses in, in uh, First Timothy. But we need to serve the body. And so wherever you are in regard to that today, I think that's, that's what we need to ask God about. Where are we today in regard to how we serve the body, in regard to taking care of people within our life groups, taking care of people within the church, taking people, care of people that God's brought into this body. All right, so let's consider that as we pray this morning, and then we'll close with some worship. Father, I thank you that you provide so well for us. I thank you for stories this last week of of provision in the midst of tragedy. God, I thank you that we have our own story here of faithful uh, church members who gave in without even knowing what all was going to come up, but just being faithful to give as you led. Lord, this is your church. We, we recognize that we're just a, a conduit uh, that, that brings Christ uh, to the world. That, Father, that our mission to lead people to know you is, is only accomplished whenever we are just walking with you and our lives are a reflection of you. I pray that the people we've touched this last week would, would realize and recognize and, and be very aware of the fact that what they received from us came, came from you. 
And God, let that be a challenge to all of us this week as we, uh, as we live out our ministry together. God, we're all the household of faith. This body here that you've called the gathering place, Wes, we're the household of faith. And may we care for each other well. And we take care of our kids and do it well. May we bear one another's burdens and do it well. May we share the, the things that you're doing in our hearts and life and give testimony of your goodness in the context of life groups and just relationships and do that well. And may we worship you together and be drawn in unity by your spirit to the same things because uh, your spirit is in us. Help us do that well. Father, we love you and thank you that we can pursue you in very practical ways. Give us time this week in your word. Give us time to meditate and read and pray. Father, speak to us. Continue to speak to us your direction for us as members of the household. In Jesus' name.